are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So I love to hear, like you, stories of a person's life who has been transformed. And those stories have been repeated over and over and over and over and over again for the last 10 years through a ministry here at Bethany First Church called Celebrate Recovery. Ten years ago, a small group of people got together and decided they would love to see that ministry come to this church. And they went to the pastor of the church, who was then Dr. David Busick, and cast the vision, and they agreed to begin that ministry together. And so it's just been amazing. So this week is the 10th anniversary birthday celebration of Celebrate Recovery. And on Wednesday night, I'm sorry, on Tuesday night of this week, in the atrium... There is going to be a birthday party for Celebrate Recovery. You are all invited to come to hear more about what has happened in the last 10 years and to celebrate everything that God is doing. So here's what this group of people did 10 years ago. They began to say to people, if you are dealing with a habit in your life that you just can't seem to overcome, we invite you to come to Celebrate Recovery. And when you do, we're going to walk with you and watch God set you free from that habit. They also said to people who are dealing with just hurt in their life, just pain. So you've got pain in your life and you can't seem to move beyond the pain. We want you to come to celebrate recovery. We're going to walk with you and we're going to watch God set you free from that pain that's in your life. And they also said to people with just hang-ups, you've got a hang-up that you just can't move beyond. Whatever it is, we invite you to come to celebrate recovery and we want to walk with you And we want to watch God set you free from that hang-up in your life. So here's what happens on Tuesday nights, including teenagers, just over 100 people come together. And first, they are in rows, like you are sitting in rows right now. And they worship together. And it's awesome to be a part of that. I've had the chance to do that a few times. But then after they are in rows, they move to something that's very important. They move to circles. And they get in smaller groups and they sit in a smaller circle and they invest in each other's lives. Now, they come from many different backgrounds and walks of life. But the one thing that they all have in common is simply this. They are convinced that the only way you will ever live life to its fullest is to find God's help every day. And to find help in one another. I'll say it again. They are convinced that the only way that you will ever fully live life is to find God's help every day and find help from one another. And they meet 52 Tuesdays a year. Every week without exception they meet because they are so committed to those ideas. And so I'm going to ask Mark to come and join me 10 years ago. When uh, CR started here, Mark was the pastor that spearheaded and has been the pastor that's been responsible for it all of these 10 years. And God has used Mark in a very powerful way. And Celebrate Recovery is inviting anyone here today, if there is a habit that you can't seem to break or a hurt, pain in your life that you're struggling through or a hang-up that you can't move beyond, Mark and Celebrate Recovery is saying, you should join us Tuesday night and let us walk with you as we watch God set you free from that. 
Now, Mark would say, hey, I could not have done this without great leaders. And so Butch and Lorna are in front of me, and I want the two of you to stand up, if you will. So these are the two lay leaders of Celebrate Recovery. And then Butch and Lorna would say, well, if it weren't for all of our lay leaders, we could not lead this. And so I want all of you to stand up, if you will. And the reason I wanted them to stand is because I wanted us to express our gratitude for their investment in this ministry But I also wanted us to express our gratitude to God because in the last 10 years, hundreds, hundreds of lives have been touched by this ministry. So I think we should celebrate what God has done. So I have a question for you. And the question is on the front of your worship folder. Are we really better together? And what can we as a church learn from these people at Celebrate Recovery? So if you're going to write something down, I would start with the next sentence, okay? I think this would be valuable to have written down in the folder that you got when you walked through the door. And if you want to take a few notes, I got a feeling there's a few other things that you might want to write down today, okay? But if you want to write this down, this is what you would write down. Here we go. You ready? Here's the bottom line. Sometimes things are not as they should be. And expectations are not met. Sometimes things are not as they should be. So you all have your stories and you can say, okay, pastor, let me talk to you about my life for a minute. I can just tell you an area of my life where things aren't as they should be. Or if I look at my family system, I can tell you about a situation in my family system where things are not as they should be. Something has gone terribly wrong. And I think you can also say, I can talk to you about a situation in my life where expectations have not been met. Okay. So Whose expectations are we talking about? So I'm going to give you three. You ready? Here we go. I'm talking about others' expectations of us. And then I think it's important to talk about God's expectations of us. And I would argue with you that God has expectations of you. And then the third, and maybe one of the most difficult to really face, is when we don't meet expectations that we have of ourselves. Hey, Rick. On this one, I let myself down. I did not live up to my own expectations of myself. So let me talk to you about that in real life for a minute, okay? So many times we will stand right here on a Friday night or a Saturday night or whenever, and standing in front of me would be a young man and a young woman, and it is a wedding. They are getting married. Now, I don't tell this story... um, to bring pain into your heart this morning if this happens to be your story, okay? In fact, it's the opposite. I want to see you find freedom and transformation if you're suffering from pain, if this is your story. But they stand here and they make these incredibly highly committed. Have you been to a wedding? Do you know what they say to each other? I will keep myself under you so long as we both shall live. And the other one says, I will keep myself 
unto you so long as we both shall live. And so when they walk away from that moment, both of them have very high expectations of the other. I expect you to be faithful to me. Well, I expect you to be faithful to me. When one of those two people become unfaithful in that marriage relationship, expectations were not met. I fully expected that you could do this. That you would do this. But you have not done this. And so the expectations of the other person was not met. So think about it this way. Hey, at our wedding, we we did it in a church. We had a pastor. We prayed. We invited God to bless our marriage. So we not only made those vows to each other, but we made them in the presence of God. And so now what I realize is that not only were the expectations of my spouse not met, but now God's expectations were not met. And here is the hardest thing to face sometimes. But I even let myself down. It's the one thing I thought I could do, and I couldn't even do that. So you can carry that idea into any relationship in your life. So think about any relationship that is broken, not working right, uh, not going well, that is sour. And, And you can ask questions like, okay... Have I, have I not met the expectations of the other person? Have I not met the expectations that God has in this relationship? And have I not met the expectations that I would have of myself? So let's move out of that realm into a non-moral choice realm. You ready? So it's easy to talk about it when it comes to moral choices, but just what about in career? You know, when I was young, people had big dreams for me. They saw me soaring to the top of the company. It just didn't happen. In my career, I did not meet the expectations that people had for me. Or maybe in money management. My spouse fully believed that I would manage money well. I have not managed money well. I did not meet her expectations or his expectations, and I have not met my own expectations. So I won't keep on with the list because I think you've got the point. You understand where this is going, right? But let me just say this. So conflict, and you might even write this down. There are two things that I'm going to say that have been very help me, helpful for me in understanding my own life, my own thought process, my own walk with God. And here's what I've learned, is that conflict is a result of unmet expectations. See, I fully expected you, Annette, to do that. And now we have conflict. Do you know what anger is a result of? It's a combination of unmet expectations and fear. And now that you didn't do that, Annette, what what if this happens? Now I'm afraid. And now I'm angry at somebody. Conflict is a result of unmet expectations. Fear is a combination of unmet expectations and fear. Anger is a result of those two. So it's easy right now, and, and I'm not saying I'm a mind reader. I just, I just know me, and some of you I know, and it's right now that you're tempted to jump out of the conversation. And here's what the jump looks like. Hey, Rick Harvey, let me tell you something. <laughs> I really don't have time to worry about what other people expect of me. 
In fact, I don't really care what others are expecting of me. Which is not fair. And the reason it's not fair is because you have expectations of others. Let me prove it. If the person you're sitting beside in the next five seconds turned around and slapped you really hard in the face, you would realize in that moment that I had expectations about how this was going to go and how you were going to act. And you did not live up to my expectations. We all have expectations. And you have to go here too. They're not always negative. Now, some of them are unrealistic. Sometimes I say this about people. What were they expecting? And what I'm saying is they had unrealistic expectations. But expectations are also very positive. And without expectations of others, God and ourselves, would we ever grow? Would we mature? Would we move forward in life? And so think about all the positive that happens because there are expectations. And here's where I'm going to argue the heaviest this morning. And we're going to turn to God's Word because God has expectations of you. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 6. You ready? Luke, chapter 13, verse 6. Now, God has expectations of a whole nation, and the nation is Israel, okay? And they are not living up to His expectations. They are not bearing fruit, all right? And so what's going on is that Jesus steps in to this conversation as an advocate. And He says, hey, what if we give them a little more time and let me try to work with them a little bit? And if not, I get it, okay? But give me a shot at it. And so God is very concerned about Israel's not acceptance of Jesus himself. And here's the story, the parable that Jesus tells. Now, it's very brief, so you got to listen closely. It's going to be over before I get started. You ready? Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went out to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around, and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, then great, fine. But if not, then okay. We'll cut it down. Do you know who uh, Henry Cloud is? He's a Christian psychologist, author, speaker, really big heart for people who are homeless, really big heart for mission endeavors to third world countries. And I, I like him, and I've heard him speak in person several times, and uh, I heard him talk about this passage once, and the reason I'm here today is because I heard him talk about this passage once, and he wrote four words on a whiteboard, and that image has been in my mind ever since, and so I decided I would just borrow from him, do the same thing here that he did, hoping that this image would stick in your mind like it stuck in mine. So here's what he says. You plant a tree and you have expectations that that tree is going to produce fruit, right? A fig tree. But when the tree does not produce fruit, what does the owner of the tree do? He pronounces judgment. He says, okay, we expected this tree to produce figs. 
It has produced no figs for three years. It has not met our expectations. So, judgment says, cut the tree down. Why should it use up the soil? When judgment has been expressed, what one really needs is an advocate. And so that's what the vineyard, one who took care of the vineyard did. He comes in and he says, wait, wait, wait. Let me speak on behalf of the tree. What if, what if we give it one more year? And what if you let me cultivate the tree, dig around some, add some fertilizer, and then if it doesn't work in another year, then I understand judgment. But let me see what I can do. And so everyone in this room, there are no exceptions to this. You have fallen short of the expectations of others. You've fallen short of the expectations of God. And you've fallen short of expectations that you have for yourself. And when you fell short of those expectations, you faced judgment, didn't you? You know what it's like to be judged by someone. You know what it's like to bring God's judgment upon yourself. What you need in that moment is an advocate, someone who will step in on your behalf and say, I want to help. I want to dig around some. I want to cultivate. I want to add some things to this conversation that you can't add yourself and see if I can be a blessing in your life and see if we can get you to produce fruit. And now all this time, ever since I heard Henry Cloud use those four words in the explanation, it has been burned into my mind. I hope it's burned into yours. The most natural thing that you and I do when somebody fails to live up to our expectations is we run immediately to judgment. It's the most natural thing we do. Let me give you an an example, okay? I'm going to say the name of a former president of the United States of America. And after I say his name, I want you to say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay? You ready? I'm going to say the name of a former president of the United States. And after I say his name, I want you to say the first word that comes to mind. Here we go. Ready? Richard Nixon. Everybody said Watergate. Now, the chances are good that Richard Nixon might have done some really good things in all of his life. Right? But there was a season of his life where he had a miserable failure. We don't think any longer about any good that he might have accomplished. What we think about is that one season of his life when he had miserable failure. He did not live up to the expectations of the American people. And as a result, he faced judgment. The most natural thing that we do when somebody fails to meet up to our expectations is we face judgment. Now, I'm just going to be frank with you for a moment, okay? I am not a fan of other people judging me. Just not a fan of that. Don't love it, enjoy it, appreciate it or anything like that. I don't want to be judged by other people. And the, the thing that I hear these days often is, hey, I'm not judging you. Or sometimes... Somebody will do something like maybe they're going to take a bite of a really big cinnamon roll with lots of syrup and pecans all over the top of it, and they get the bite right here, and they look at me and say, don't judge me. You know? I mean, we we, we kind of live in this way, hey, don't, don't judge me. None of us really want to be judged, all right? So I would say in response to that, God is my judge. I really don't need another one. I think I've got a really good one. I'm not in the market for one. And I realize that I will never escape God's judgment, right? God is my judge. I will never escape His judgment. Here is the hard thing for me to admit. 
Here's the hard thing for me to reckon with, okay? That I make choices that brings God's judgment upon me. I fail miserably when it comes to what God asks of me. And I bring His judgment upon me. See, I'm not new to this conversation. Um, This is not my first rodeo, okay? I know that if I stick my hand in an open flame, that it is going to burn my skin. I realize that if I sin, openly sin, I'm going to have to face, have to face the consequences of my sin. I understand that I have the ability to bring God's judgment upon me. When we find ourselves in that place, there's really, really, really good news. And here's the good news. That's not the end of your story. Just because you have failed to meet God's expectations or your own or those of others, and just because you face judgment does not mean that that's where your story stops. There is hope. And the reason there is hope is because God has expressed His love for us in Christ Jesus. So let's think about that for a minute. I was with one of our pastors this week, Thaddeus Black. Thaddeus is leading a congregation of people in the Two Lakes community. And right now, they're a very vibrant congregation of on a given Sunday morning of about 80 to 100 people that come together to worship. And you want to talk about transformation? God is changing lives in that community of believers. It's amazing. And Thaddeus says to me this week, Hey, Pastor Rick, he said, When I got out of prison, and you... Maybe you've heard Thaddeus' story. He was a drug dealer for many years of his life. He finally goes to prison. And he spends 11 and a half years in prison and is miraculously released early. But in prison he gets saved and he is discipled. He gets out of prison. He can't find a job. But he says, I will never go back to my old ways. If I live the rest of my life as a homeless person, I will live the rest of my life as a homeless person. He was sleeping on people's couches. He walked wherever he went. He could not get a job because of his felony. Who wants to hire a drug dealer fresh out of prison? But he said, Pastor, Gary and Chris and Chase Pitcock, they opened their arms to me. And they brought me into their lives. He said, not only did they give me a job, but they gave me a place to live. Not only did they give me a place to live, he said, but they opened their home to me. They brought me into their home and into their lives and into their family. And they invested in me and they saw the potential in me. And they believed in me when nobody else was believing in me. They loved me. They cared for me. They brought me right here to their church. They sat with me in church on Sunday morning. They were there for me. Thaddeus did not live up to the expectations of society. He did not live up to the expectations of his family. He did not live up to the expectations of God or himself. And he faced all kinds of judgment. In fact, he was sentenced. And in that moment in his life, what Thaddeus needed, he needed Chris and Gary. And Chase, he needed an advocate. He needed someone to believe in him, to stand with him, to walk with him, 
to see the potential in him. And today, (laughs) Thaddeus is the pastor of a church. And he is being used by God to see other people's lives transformed like his life was transformed. So when you find yourself at a place where you have not met expectations and you have faced judgment, at that moment in your life, what you need is an advocate. Now, in the parable, and this is where we find the people of Israel, by the way. In the parable, Jesus is the advocate. Did you know that the Bible says this? The Bible says that Jesus... Now get this, okay? Some of you have not heard this. It's going to blow your mind, all right? But here's what's going on now. Jesus is interceding, meaning praying to the Father. Guess who for? You. The Bible teaches us that Jesus prays for you. What? You're kidding me. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you and He's praying for me. He is our advocate. He goes to the Father on our behalf. Now, this is a really cool part. I love this. I get excited when I talk about this. But sometimes, sometimes Jesus comes to me and loves me through His body, the church, you. And sometimes Jesus invests in my life. Sometimes Jesus puts his arms around me. Sometimes Jesus walks beside me through you. It's why it's so important that after we've had time in the rows, which is really good stuff, that we move from there to the circles. Because life is only ever fully going to be lived with an awareness that we need God's help every day and we need each other every day. So, do you know what today is? It's Epiphany Sunday. It's the Sunday when we celebrate the infant Jesus and the wise men coming to Jesus, seeking Him. And in that moment, they lay their eyes on the Christ child and their eyes are opened. It's seeing something in this new or clear way. And here's what I've been praying for. I've been praying that today someone would have an epiphany. And although you walked into the room feeling stuck and feeling trapped and feeling like I will never change, I can never become better, I can never get beyond where I am now, it's been this way a long time and it's probably always going to be, I've been praying that you would have an epiphany and that your eyes would be opened that you would say, you know what, I have not met expectations, I have faced judgment, but I'm being told right now that I have an advocate who wants to dig around in my life and bring something that I can't bring. I'm not a horticulturalist, but I do know this much about plants, that when you fertilize a plant, you have brought something to the plant the plant cannot produce on its own. And I'm talking about Jesus and sometimes through His church digging around and bringing something to the conversation of my life that I cannot bring on my own. Okay, last thing. It's interesting to me that the parable doesn't end this way. Just go ahead and produce no fruit for three more years. What's the big deal? It's not how it ends. There is a strong implication that something's got to change. 
This behavior cannot continue. It must change. Who is this for? It's for every person in this room. Because I've told everybody's story today. I did not live up to the expectations. I have faced judgment. What I really need is an advocate. Somebody who will come along beside me and dig around and bring something to the conversation that I can't bring myself. And I got a feeling that there were a lot of people in this room a little while ago with this thought in their mind. I would love to get to the bottom of some of the stuff in my life. And so, I want to turn to the advocate this morning and say, I accept the help that you're offering me. And so that's what we do when we come to this table to receive communion. We're really saying, as we take the bread and eat it, and the drink and drink it, we're really saying, I receive your grace, Jesus. And I receive your help in this moment. And his grace and his blessing and his help, and his advocacy, and his digging around, and his helping us to grow is something that begins to flow through us in this moment. So why don't you stand with me, okay? We, um, we're going to ask those who are going to help us to come at this time. And when the tray passes you, I would say this to you. So listen closely, even though I know there's movement and you're standing If you sincerely seek Jesus this morning, then I would say receive the elements with us. If that's not where you are, don't feel that pressure to do so. Let it pass you by. That's between you and God. But if you are sincerely seeking Jesus, you are invited to receive His grace. So when you get the cups, there's one stacked on top of the other. Take both. In the bottom one, there's bread. You can put that in your hand, stack them back. And then after you've been served, if you'll hold them until everybody has been served, that would be awesome. Because that way, everybody can eat and drink together. So get the elements, hold them in your hand until everybody has been served, and then we will all eat and drink together. Okay? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.